Thank you so much, Billy. Billy is in our uh, service today. Thank you for sharing a little bit of your life with us. That is so wonderful what God is doing in your life and in your walk of faith. What a blessing you are. Hey, good morning, church. Pastor Tim, I'm glad to be with you today. Uh, and uh, I want to start out, I just remembered a story a few years ago about the pastor who came and challenged his congregation to read Mark's Gospel, chapter 17. And he said, next week I'm going to preach a scripture uh, out, of, out of here. I'm going to share a message on the Gospel of Mark, chapter 17, and I want you all to go home and read it. And the next week he asked everybody, now let us see a show of hands. How many of you read Mark chapter 17? And he was surprised just about everybody in the whole auditorium raised their hand. And he said, that's amazing. There's only 16 chapters in the Gospel of Mark. <laughs> and he went on to preach his sermon online. <laughs> well, I'm not going to do that to you today. But I do want to talk a little bit about something that I find that really is a hindrance to a lot of people in their walk of faith, and that is this effort to keep up with everybody else. This compare and contrast kind of game that a lot of people seem to play these days, and I want to talk about it. Now, of course, we're calling this a Rock Sunday. It's renewing our campus for the kingdom of God. And on these Sundays, we're really focused on our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what we are called to do. We're on this journey to make disciples of Jesus Christ, a.k.a. to become like Jesus. I wonder today, are you endeavoring to become like Jesus? Are you still focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he still your goal, your objective for your walk of faith? And as we travel this way, so many people, I find, live their lives on lies, on half-truths. Sometimes we call it fake news, I suppose, but there's an element of this where everybody seems to be trying to keep up and, and sustain and, and to maintain and to keep up with everybody else. And i got to tell you, it really weighs you down. There's something about this that really is a challenge and I want to kind of elevate that to your understanding today. In fact, I want to challenge you here this morning to really leave behind all the fake news and all those half-truths and those things that weigh us down. I want you to watch this clip. That's humorous, isn't it? But 
that's the way it is with a lot of people these days as they're trying to keep up with everybody else. They're trying to follow the other person. They're trying to keep up with what the culture says that we need to be doing. They're trying to follow the other one just like everybody else, and it really weighs you down. And I know some of you are getting ready to go to the Holy Land, and i got to say that not everybody's meant to ride a camel. <laughs> I want to challenge you today to lay aside all the bad habits, all the comparison, all the things that we kind of cling on to, trying to keep up with other people and to lead the life that God intended you to lead, to be the best version of yourself, the best disciple that you can become, that you can be in the eyes of Christ. And I want to challenge you to lay aside all those things that so easily define your life. Here a couple years ago, there was a guy in one of the churches I served, and he was really upset uncharacteristically upset, something that probably wouldn't bother most of us, he was really troubled by, and he just got a second letter from his insurance company saying, you need to find insurance with somebody else. And I said, what's going on? He said, well, I've had a couple of speeding tickets, nothing very, I wasn't reckless, it was just a little bit over, and I was involved in a minor fender bender, and it wasn't even my fault. But I'm fearful that I'm going to get another one of these letters, and I'm just so anxious about it. I'm so troubled. I'm not going to have insurance. I got to thinking about that later, and, you know, I think a lot of disciples live their life that way, thinking they're going to get a letter that they're not good enough, that somehow they are not good enough. How often we compare ourselves to other people. Now, you know, I find that the most balanced people on the planet are grandparents. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, grandparents are always making sure that the grandkids all know that they are all special in their eyes. And in fact, they go on a trip and they bring back a gift, the same gift for everybody in the family. They don't want anybody thinking that somebody's favorite over the other. When Christmas comes, they make sure that the box is about the same size that they spend the same amount, and in the eyes of that child, that they see that they are special, right? Social media now really makes it very difficult, does it not, uh, this blame game. It's uh, really never been easier to compare yourself to someone else thanks to the social media. Everything could be going great in your life. It can be going wonderful, and then there's this picture that pops up on Facebook or some Instagram, some little video kind of transpires, and these people are at such luscious places and great resort, and they've always got their feet hangling over this wonderful body of water, and you're just, you just want to be there yourself. It's amazing how something like that can change the whole tenor of our life. And what we need to be reminded of today is that we are comparing our behind the scenes with everybody else's highlight reels, right? Always comparing ourselves to other people and how ignorant it is to find ourselves comparing our paycheck to somebody else's paycheck, our house to somebody else's house, our career path to somebody else's career path, our family life to somebody else's family life, our relationships with what 
we don't seem to have. And when you compare yourself to others, it just makes you feel either inferior or superior. And both of those never honor God. So many want to live in the land of the earth. And by that I mean they want to live in the land of better, richer, stronger, healthier, happiest, and on and on and on. And I think it really gets even more concerning than that because these days everybody's trying to be the busiest. As if somehow if I'm just the busiest, I'll be the best. And people want to be the quickest and the strongest and the wealthiest, and on and on and on. And the quicker way, I want to say, to really kill something special is to begin to compare it to something else. Now, you see this kind of thing played out in the Gospels, if you stop and think about it. You'll be reading along with the Gospels, and then there's a hint here when it says, and they start asking, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? And then, maybe if we're James and John there in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, and suddenly they say, well, grant us, Lord, to set one at the right hand and the other at the left hand. Now, all these other disciples, these little minions out here, they're not going to be as great as we are. There's a hint of it here, isn't there? Or maybe it's on Resurrection Sunday, if you've ever noticed that. In John, chapter 20, John is writing there in John, chapter 20. And it's interesting about verse 6 or 7. And they've just heard that Jesus is no longer in the tomb and they take off running. And if you notice in the text there, as the writer John says, he makes note of the fact that he is running faster than Peter because he, he says, came to the tomb first. What do you suppose that would matter in the scheme of things? But he wanted everybody to know that he was the most beloved and he got to the empty tomb the first. He was the fastest guy there that day. This kind of thing continues to play out. There must have been a little competition, don't you think? There at one point, you remember, John says that he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. That occurs about five different scenes there in John. And don't you think there's some tension there? There's some things that we need to think about here today. And I want to give you just three quick kind of almost a formula. And this is nothing dramatic. It's nothing earth shattering. But I just want to remind you about this. As we're talking about making disciples, as we're speaking about all of us becoming the disciple of Jesus Christ endeavoring to live out our faith, just three quick things you need to know. First of all, if you want real peace and contentment in this regard in your life, the first thing you need to do is you need to resist the matching game. Resist comparing yourself to other people. It's paramount that you do that. Comparing always leads to coveting. And America's favorite pastime, isn't it this art of comparing yourself to other people? You're invited over to a small group and you go to someone's house, or maybe it's at Christmas and there's this party that they have and you walk in and you're like, whoa, look at those drapes. Look at that carpet. Did you see that 100-inch screen plasma TV? I didn't even know they had a size like that. <laughs> Did you see the jacuzzi they had out in the back? There's this comparing that all of a sudden begins 
to take place, and we're really good at it as people, aren't we? You're constantly comparing, and it keeps you frustrated. And the first thing we got to do as disciples is really to resist that. That's the first step in really becoming a contented person is to stop the comparison. You know, when I started ministry years ago, uh, we had in the one district that I served a clergy breakfast. And it was really fun when I first started. It was good to get to know the other clergy. I was just getting started. And uh, they would always have a breakfast and it would visit different churches throughout the area. And uh, we would show up and the DS, the our district superintendent, would give a very inspiring and challenging message for us. And we would share communion together and we would talk over all the events. And then we had some interesting things happen. We had some new clergy come in. And then all of a sudden the fellowship started in this kind of braggadocious spirit. Well, we just took in 25 new members. How about you? Our church just built the best Parsonage, just this 4,000 square foot, this palace. How about your church? Our giving just went up 10%. We're blowing the lights out over here at our church. And there was this compare and contrast. And all of a sudden, it wasn't very fun to go to the clergy breakfast anymore. If you're going to learn contentment, you've got to stop comparing. Now, this is a great verse here. And I was reading one day, and of course, 2 Corinthians there, Paul is writing to the believers there at Corinth. And there's a lot of challenges in that culture. There's uh, some difficult things going on. There's corruption, and Paul's addressing all kinds of things in the Corinthian letters. And, and uh, then there's kind of a marked change as you get to chapter 9 and into chapter 10. And all of a sudden, he begins to, to really start talking about this authority. And this need there not to compare, we're following our Lord. And he says, we do not dare classify or compare ourselves. It is not wise. And that means it's a dumb thing to do. If you're constantly comparing your automobile to someone else, your house, your job, your looks, your clothes, your family, it's stupid in other words. It's not wise. God says you just create dissatisfaction. And we need to learn to admire without having to acquire. And it's not just a good idea to stop it. We're actually commanded to do it. You ever stop and think about that? That one commandment there in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 17, you shall not covet anything belonging to your neighbor. Coveting there, you see, just leads to this uncontrollable desire to acquire. And it's such an important sin to avoid that it's included in the Ten Commandments, folks. Think of this. The word covet there in that Hebrew and in that biblical world in that day is to grab or to grasp so tightly that you can't let it go. You grab onto it. You cling onto it. And you never let it go. But if God ever gives you something, and God tells you to give that away, or to give part of this to something else or someone else, and you don't do it, i got to tell you, you don't own it, it owns you. And that's what this verse here is really teaching us. God is not saying you should never have a desire for something. That's not Christianity, that's Buddhism. But when a desire becomes uncontrollable, 
when that desire just overwhelms you and it controls you. When you desire something that's not yours, that's where the wrong begins to enter in. And a desire in and of itself is not necessarily a negative thing, right? I mean, nothing can be accomplished unless you desire to do it. You can't become more like Jesus without desiring to become more like Jesus. You can't desire to have patience without having that desire and that focus to become more patient in your walk of faith. If you can't really be more generous if you don't desire to be more generous. You can't be more loving if you're not desiring to be more loving. Desire is not bad until it is uncontrolled and you think you got to have more and more and more and the root of that kind of desire is comparing yourself to others and you can't have a contented life and you can't live a life at peace if you're doing this all the time now if you really think about it and revisit the Ten Commandments you have to say well isn't there an element of this in all of those Ten Commandments I mean stop and think about that Covenant leads to maybe every other kind of sin happening in your life. It says there, the first commandment, have no other gods before me. Don't you think there's an element there of covenant? The second commandment says, have no graven images. Don't really desire any other material things. Don't place any graven images before your God. It says, don't take the name of the Lord's name in vain. There's an aspect there of coveting. It says, keep the Sabbath holy for rest and worship, not to be on the outlook of the desire for everything else. If this here is broken, I want to say it probably amounts to all the other commandments being broken because it seems to be the basis of so much corruption in our lives. I was reading one time about the great... Uh, Francis Xavier, who was the leader of the Roman Catholic Church for years, back in yesteryear. And at the end of his life and at the end of his ministry, he was reflecting on what had happened and what he had been doing. And he thought, I've had thousands upon thousands of confessions and I've never had one person to ever confess the sin of covetousness. I read some more in history and I found out Charles Spurgeon said the same thing during his ministry. I found out the same thing Martin Luther said the same thing. I have to tell you the same thing in my ministry. I've never heard anyone confess of the sin of covetousness. But yet it seems to be the source of so much trouble in our lives. And it begins with that desire to acquire and we're comparing ourselves our walk of faith, our fruit that's in our life to everybody else, and we need to resist that temptation. A second thing we need to do is to rejoice in what you have been given. Rejoice in what you have been given. Now, we're coming up on Thanksgiving, and as I've told you before, the older I get, the I am thankful every day, all 365 days of the year, for everything that God has given me. I am a blessed guy. And you know what? If you would stop and really reflect upon your life, there is so much to be thankful for. And, you know, we need to resist this temptation to really want what everybody else has. Everything out there on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram... And we need to focus on the blessings that God has given to us. Really rejoice 
and what God has provided us. Now, the biblical picture of someone who rejoices is a person who somehow is able to rejoice his or her way through life. It's rejoicing that gets us through the trouble spots. It's rejoicing that elevates you in life. It's the, it's the rejoicing that helps you to soar over all the adversity. Even in the midst of challenge and difficulties, you can be thankful unto God for what God has done for you. Now, there's a great text in the Old Testament, and it's the book of Ecclesiastes. Here's the wisest guy we're told that ever lived, and he made this observation. He said this in chapter 5 and verse 19. He says, if God gives a person wealth and property, he should be grateful and enjoy what he has. It is a gift of God. God says, I want you to enjoy and be grateful for what you've got. It's a gift. You wouldn't have anything if it weren't for God's blessing upon your life. It's a gift. It's all a gift from God. And God wants you to enjoy what he has provided unto you. And if you can't just now really think of anything that you have that you want to be thankful for, be thankful for what you have escaped in life, right? There's so much that you can count the blessings of God in your life. And part of this formula of overcoming this desire to have what everybody else has is to resist that, rejoice with what God has given you. And then lastly, I want to say to you that you need to refocus on what's going to last in your life. Give attention to those eternal priorities. When it all comes down to it, think about those eternal things. Right? Reorganize your life around those things that are really going to last. Now, here Paul is talking about this in 2 Corinthians. Again, just a couple chapters or so before he gets to that 10th chapter. And this time it's in chapter 4. And it's down in verse 18. Fix your attention not on the things that are seen, but on things that are unseen. And that's what's going to last. Culture says, if I have a little, I'm worth a little. But we know that's not true because the cross says you're worth a lot. The cross says that Jesus came for you. You are of such incredible, sacred worth in the eyes of God. And God loves you greatly. Jesus has traded his life for ours. Now, you can never be what God wants you to be. You can never get enough er in life. You can never get enough est in life. You can never get enough followers on Instagram, enough likes on Facebook. You can't get enough money, land, status, perfection, popularity, vacation. There's not enough on the outside to satisfy what the longing is on the inside. There's never an external source that can satisfy the internal. If anything besides Christ is your goal, you're running a race today that you will never win. Now, this is why I like this last text that I want to share with you today in the book of Hebrews. One of my favorite texts here in Hebrews chapter 12. And we're talking about here focusing our attention upon the Lord. And here it says, it says this, Throw off everything that hinders and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. And it indicates here you run with perseverance. Now, I read that 
that text for many years in my life. And I never noticed this until just some time ago. And I saw this last phrase in Hebrews chapter 12. Marked out for you. Run the race that's been laid out or marked out for you. It indicates you run with perseverance the particular race that God has given you. Everybody has a mission. Everybody has a purpose. Everybody has a role. And you need to stay in your lane and run the journey that God has laid out for you. And it's so important we do this. You know, I've been to a lot of um, athletic events. I love sports. And i got to tell you, you see this played out all the time as someone's getting ready to cross over into the end zone and they throw the ball down before they get there. Or somebody that's bragging about, uh, uh, about their success and they're going to win. Watch this clip, this next clip here. Uh, Take my word for it. There's a moral to this story. Yeah, it looked like a coronation for Tanche Pepio. He's getting the crowd. He wants the crowd to cheer his performance. And at the end, he gets pipped. He gets pipped by Marin Simon of Washington. And you just can't do this kind of stuff, Lewis. You can. And you, know, you see his face. And you know, no one has to say anything. They don't have to explain it to him. He'll never make that mistake again. I bet he'll never make that mistake again, right? This is great. I've won this thing. I'm the best. I'm the greatest. Take your mind off of the end zone, the finish line. You'll be at the track meets, and you'll be at the ball field, and you'll see people looking to the left. Are they going to catch me? Or looking to the right, are they going to catch up? Or putting their eyes behind, and they seem to always get caught. We need to keep our eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. These eternal priorities that God has given to us. When you run that race, you run with perseverance. That race that's been marked out for you. Now, I want to say to you today, here's the deal. I didn't preach this sermon and share these words today to shame anybody. We all struggle, don't we? This is something we all combat in our lives, this kind of compare and contrast and this tendency to elevate ourselves above others or desire what other people have been blessed with and given. But it really is worth noting that we often spend money on things that we want, isn't it? And the more we want something, the more willing we are to pay for it. Uh, the more we want something, the more we are willing to really put forth the energy for it. The more we want something, we really put our effort toward it, our time toward it. And I wonder today, I really wonder today, how much is God worth to you? Is your desire today truly to become like the Lord Jesus Christ? I want to invite our band to come back up. We close our time together here for a time of prayer, a time of focusing, being thankful for what God has given to each of us. Make sure that we have our eyes focused on the Lord and that we resist the temptation in comparison and coveting that we truly follow that path that God has laid out for us. Let us pray. God, we thank you for these moments we could spend upon your word. 
Lord, may your spirit convict hearts today. We are living in challenging times, and we know there's such comparison and seems to be such a desire out there to want more and more, to acquire more and more, experience more and more. But, oh God, may we be those disciples that are truly focused upon you today, grateful for your blessings, resistant of that covening spirit, Lord, may we follow that path that you have for each of us. Bless every heart here today, oh God. May your spirit work inside of each of us, our hearts and mind and soul, that you may have our full devotion and that we may faithfully follow you. We pray and ask this in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.